Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day. We thank you, Father, for all your goodness to us, for the grace that you pour into our lives. We thank you, Father, for giving your word to us, and we pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds to receive it. We pray that you'd use it to form us. We ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit now. Lord, I ask that you give me words to speak, and that my own words might be forgotten. Jesus' name. I think probably most people in, in the room have cooked at some point in their lives. And some of you may be excellent cooks. I know some of you are excellent cooks. Uh, in fact, we all know that. If you've been to any lunch or meal in this place, you know there are some very good cooks here. Some of us, though, are a bit more experimental. Um, one of the, the uh, things that used to be a story in our house is, um, well, it only happened a few times. It's been quite often that I've been gone away from home and Veronica and the kids there. Once in a while, though, maybe three or four or five times, Veronica was away at something and I was home with the kids. And so there are some stories of the meals that we shared and how I went about doing it. And so there are two things that I think I excel at as far as cooking. One is I can turn almost anything into a sandwich. <laughs> and second of all, ramen makes a good base for all kinds of food. You can take leftovers or whatever's in the fridge, you take your ramen, you turn it into a stir fry, you throw some sauce in, and sometimes you need a little extra something. So you look in the cupboard, and you find these. So what, what are these? Spices. So you just grab any one, right? You just kind of close your eyes, pick one, and go for it. Yes? Yeah, some ways. The person's going, no. You Why not? It might not complement the flavor. Well, it depends how much you use. See if you use enough of this one. Cayenne pepper. Yeah, if you use enough, it, it is the flavor. <laughs> so, years ago, about 15 years ago, um, we were traveling through Texas with our kids and uh, stopped to explore uh, San Antonio. Went in the market, and, and there's this little yellow box, a little metal box of spice that I had to have. So we bought it, we took it home back to northern Alberta, and our youngest, at least once and perhaps twice, took great joy in saying, my dad has seasoning from hell. Because <laughs> that's what it said on the box. <laughs> because it was habanero color. It was great. But what we discovered with it, like any of these that are in a jar, these are not fresh. And if you, after a while we discovered that, that seasoning from hell, you could put an awful lot of it in there before it had very much flavor. Because what happens with these powdered things? They go stale, don't they? They lose, they lose the potency and the flavor. It's so much nicer when you have um, real ones. I have to be careful because those do have to go home again. <laughs> but what's the ultimate spice? I mean, if you don't have all those things in there, there's salt. salt. Yeah. 
And salt has been something we've used for thousands of years. Thousands of years. And salt's an amazing thing, isn't it? Because you can use it, you just scrape a little on, on it, and it, it can bring the flavor right out. I, I don't know, maybe you think it bizarre. Does anybody like grapefruit? Yeah. Oh, take a grapefruit and you just slice it in half, and then you just need a plainer and you put anything on it.
Jesus, there was this guy. He was casting out demons in your name, so he tried to make him stop it. And I think he was expecting Jesus to say, Good job, John. Let's go find him and straighten him out. But that's not what Jesus said at all, is it? He said, Do not try and stop this man. Let's back this train up a little bit. Two things. He was casting out demons in Jesus' name. Not he was trying, or he hoped, or he used the name of Jesus. There was something happening in this man. And people were becoming free in the name of Jesus. And so Jesus was saying to John, What is the matter with you that you would try and stop the work of God from proceeding? Why would you do that, John? Second of all, John said, we tried to stop him. In other words, they didn't succeed. And that's what ticked John off, I think. He didn't make this man stop, so he was going to get the boss. And he was going to straighten this guy out. But that's not what Jesus said at all. He said, don't you know if somebody is sharing in our ministry, they're doing mighty deeds in my name, they're not going to turn on me in a hurry. He's on our side. Don't be upset that God, that I'm working through Him and setting people free because He's, he's with us, even though He's not with us in our, in our little group. And then Jesus goes on to say this very hmm, striking set of words. If anyone would cause a little one to sin, it would be better that a millstone were tied around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now, if any of you came in here today with this view of Jesus as a gentle Jesus, meek and mild, wouldn't squash a fly. You know that in the old movies they used to show back in the 70s where Jesus always looked kind of stoned and underworld. <laughs> That's not our Savior. I mean, what a picture to use. If you would do this, if you would cause someone to sin, if you would cause someone to go away from me, it would be better that you were drowned in the sea with a rope around your neck. Not exactly a gentle image, is it? And then he went on to say, for you yourself in your own life, if your hand or your foot or your eyeball causes you to sin, to come away from me, chop it off, pluck it out. It is that big a deal about the way that you live. So be salt. This is where the spice comes back. You need salt within yourself. In other words, you need to have a way of living that you are sprinkled, you're seasoned, you're preserved, so that you walk with me in a way that keeps you from falling into sin and from stumbling. You need to order your life. You need to take control of the way that you live so that you don't go off course. That you don't lose your walk with me. And find yourself far away from where I am. Take stock of your life. Are you salty still? That's why that comment, if, salting, if salt has lost its saltiness. If the way you're living your life has lost its holiness. You need to come back. You need to do something about it. And there are lots of things that can happen to us or happen in our lives that can pull us and try and draw us away from our God. And we see these through all the passages of the scripture today. Sometimes it comes from people who should be keeping us on course. Even those within the church. And that's not new. That's happened 
Always because, well, I've said more than once, the church would be perfect if not for the fact it's full of people. <laughs> and the problem with people is we all have this tendency to sin. We're broken. And sometimes we mess up. And sometimes we, we do that to others too. And you go right back into the Old Testament. And here we are again, another account of where Israel's in the wilderness. They're wandering in the desert. It wasn't because they're lost. It's because they wouldn't pay attention. And God, who has provided for them day by day by day, who led them out with a miracle, now they're complaining. And I love the passage in, in, in uh, Numbers. The rabble among them began to complain. And soon they had everybody complaining. So it started out with a handful of malcontents who were never impressed with anything. I know none of you have ever met someone like that, but they can exist. They complain about everything. They're never happy with anything. They always see the worst side of life. They always see the negative in everything. They were there. <coughs> and they said, we're so hard done by. When we were in Egypt, when we were slaves and oppressed and had to find our own straw to make bricks, we had onions. <laughs> and we had garlics. And we had fish. So we were in chains. But at least we have meat. And you know, the complaint grew so much that everybody got sucked into it. And poor Moses. I mean, I've been always amazed as I read through the Exodus and Numbers. Time after time, the people were like this. And Moses would go before God on behalf of the people. And this time he said, God, these are your people. I don't want them anymore. I didn't ask to lead them. I didn't give birth to them. They're not my children. I can't take it anymore. Just kill me. I have to tell you in honesty, many people who are in leadership hit this point. When you live in the church, you can hit this point. You say, God, I didn't sign up for this. And I've had enough. But sometimes if we listen, we can hear the same thing Moses heard. You know, essentially, God said, no, you're right, they're not your people. Why are you trying to carry them? That's not your job, Moses. But we have to give Moses credit. Because the rabble and all those complainers, they began to, to you know, sound off against Moses, and they began to complain about God. Moses, when he complained, well, it's like Tom Hanks in, in Saving Private Ryan. They didn't go downhill, went uphill. So when his life was a mess, Moses didn't complain to the people, he turned to God. He pours out his heart to God in all honesty, saying, God, this is a mess, I don't like these people, I don't want them anymore. And God said, just wait, I have a plan, now that you're listening. Gather these 70 elders, and, and there's the solution. We'll come back to that. And we run in... To the very real thing that many of us experience as James writes this letter to us. Is anyone suffering? Maybe someone here has been in that place. Physically, emotionally, relationally, something's got wrong, gone wrong in your life. What do you do with that? James says, is, is anyone suffering? He should pray. That's what Moses did. Moses was suffering. He was in pain. So he prayed, he came before his God. He said, God, this is a mess. 
I don't know what you're doing wrong, but you have to stop. His perspective wasn't right, it got corrected, but at least he was in the presence of the one who could correct him. And he was laying himself honestly before his God. In his suffering, he went to his knees. Is anyone joyful? Or maybe you've been in your place in your life where everything's going wonderful and you're filled with joy and it's easy to kind of wander off. When life is good, we need to pay extra attention to not lose our relationship with God and think that our circumstances are our own self as what has made everything good. Is there anyone joyful? He should sing praises to God. Rejoice in what God has done for him. To give thanks, to worship. Is anyone sick? So we have complainers, we have hard times, we have suffering, we have joy, we have illness. We live in a world that has disease on it. And some of us, at some point, are going to get sick. Well, what do you do? God has a plan for that, too. You should call the elders of the church, who will anoint him with oil and pray over him, and his sins will be forgiven and he'll get better. Okay, that's a paraphrase. But you have it written down on that sheet of paper. No matter what's going on, we come before our God, and we seek Him. So what do we do about these things? Real things happen to us, don't they? One of the beautiful things about Christianity, one of the beautiful things about the Scripture, is it's real. It meets us in the realities of life. The pain, the joy, the suffering, the good things, the bad things, the hard times. In all of those things, our God is present and has something for us. And so it is that we're told to have salt within ourselves and to be salty for the people around us. So salt within ourselves. Beautiful Psalm 19. A guy I knew once wrote a song about this song. About this song. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Your soul ever felt dry, worn out, tired? The law of the Lord revives it. For some reason, we don't think of laws that way, do we? We think of laws as things that take away our freedom or restrict us. Sometimes the laws give us freedom and help and joy. The laws of God are like that. That's how they differ from the ones I make. God's laws actually work. But they guide us and they give us hope. So if our soul needs reviving, we have somewhere to go, something to read. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The psalm says, basically, we need to spend time in this place. We get soaked in God's word because it forms us. It keeps us salty because we know what God says. We know his promises. We know his directions. We know his warnings. We know his grace. We know his joy. We have instruction. We have the words of life. We need that salt in our lives. The psalmist goes on to write, Who can discern his errors? Clear me from hidden faults. So that recognizes, I can't really see myself very objectively. But God, you know. So God, where I can't see, I need you to touch my life. The only way that works in our lives is, is A, we have to come before God and say that, and B, we have to be willing to let him speak to us. There's nothing about your life, by the way, that surprises God. You know, when you, when you fall on your knees and say, God, this is what's going on in my life, God could say, yeah, I know. 
about time you admitted it. The reason we say that to God is because we need to own it. We need to say it, not because it fools God in any way. In fact, the opposite is true. More often, most of us probably need to come before God and say, Okay, God, tell me what's going on in my life. Where am I on course? Where am I off course? Would you correct me? And then comes that beautiful passage. I've heard this. Um, this is a prayer often preachers use. But May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. But this essentially says, God, the way I think and the way I talk, I need your grace to direct those things. Because sometimes our thinking gets caught up in our circumstance. Sometimes our thinking is, is off base. We get stuck on stuff that's pulling us away. Back to the hand and foot and eye kind of thing. So we need to say to God, God, I need you. And sometimes that's the first thing we need to do. The first place, the thing we need to address first in our lives. It's Moses did. It's what James tells us to do. That's what the psalmist says to us. And that's where Jesus invites us. Jesus said, come to me, anyone who's heavy laden, and I will refresh you. Is anyone thirsty? Let them come to me and drink. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and meek of heart. Jesus invites us to come to him with whatever is going on in our lives, but we can trust him to be a good director of our lives. And when we try and direct our own lives, we fall in the danger of just filling ourselves with cayenne pepper so that it covers over everything. And God says, but wait, I have a better way. You don't need that stuff. Let me direct your life. But that only happens when we can come into the place where we in humility and submission give up. And the interesting thing is when we do that, that's when we have joy and that's when we have hope and that's when the power of God fills us and that's when we actually have all the things we were grabbing for anyways. But there's another side to this point. Just as Jesus said we need salt in our lives so that we don't drift away from Him, He said we are supposed to be salt in other people's lives. That's why Jesus said in response to John, if anyone causes a little one to sin or to go astray, it's better for a millstone to be hung around his neck and be thrown into the sea. It is that big a deal if you take someone away from Jesus. And I read that and I was thinking about it this week. I thought, boy, this church in North America is going to have something to answer for before our God. Because too often what we've presented to the world has been brokenness and disunity and twisted versions of the gospel that have led people astray and have sullied the reputation of my Jesus. And if the church wants to get back on course, we need to fall on our knees in repentance and say, God, we can't do it our way anymore. You need to tell us what to do. Boy, we've been going around with that. <laughs> But I think it's the truth. But you know, we each have some responsibility in this. I, I have no in with what's going on in Washington or in, in uh, Ottawa in Canada. No, I don't know prime ministers or premiers or anybody like that. And maybe you don't either. 
But every one of us has relationships, and every one of us has a circle of influence, and every one of us have people who watch us, even when we don't, and especially when we don't want them to. And that's where our saltiness comes into play. Because Jesus said He is showing who He is through us. And that is only a clear picture when we understand that and live it. Every moment of our lives is a gospel moment. Even on your worst day, even when somebody's being rude to you, even when there's you go in and they can't help you at the bank or whatever it is, and you feel like exploding in that moment, that's a great moment to stop, take a deep breath, and say, I'm going to teach you a very powerful prayer. Okay, you might want to take out your pen and your paper and write this down. Are you ready? Help! <laughs> Sometimes you don't know what else to pray. But if you come before God and say, God, help. Help. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I, this is going bad. Help. And then stop for a second so God can help. You'd be amazed how they'll intervene. Your attitude shifts or something happens. Because we make space. But we're called to intentionally be solved. James said, if you're sick, you call the elders of the church together and they will pray over you. They're, meant, they're the leadership of the church. It's meant to be salt for the congregation. So that the presence of God is welcomed and honored and, and lifted up. That space is made for the Holy Spirit to work among us. God told Moses, get 70 of the leaders of, of the people together together. <laughs> Gather them together outside the tent of the meeting and I'm going to take some of my spirit and put them on them too because they can't do it on their own. And I will anoint them for the job I've given them to do. So they all got together. They met there on the point of day except for two. And God poured out His spirit and they prophesied that day. The prophecy was so that the whole congregation could see that God had anointed this group of people for the purpose for which He had called them. They didn't prophesy anymore because they weren't called to be prophets. They were called to be elders and leaders. But the people saw it. And so now they had the authority as well as the grace of God to fulfill that. Those 70 were meant to be salt for the people of Israel. To help counteract the rot that was coming into the congregation from the rabble. God has called you to be salt. To be salt for the people of this congregation. That together we encourage one another. Lift one another up. And we pray for one another. And we see that God is glorified among us. We share that responsibility. We can't give it away to someone else. We all share in that. We are also called to be salt in the world. That God wants to use you. Think about that for a second. God wants to use you. To reveal His glory and His love and His grace to people who are so desperate for it. You. You have been chosen. You have been called. And so He says, come to me and be salted so that you have some salt in the way. God is amazing. He takes people like, like me. As broken and messed up, as lost as we are, as depressed as we can get. And He still pours His grace into our lives. 
He changes people and He changes situations. God will use you in ways you can't even imagine as you're available. Just don't be the boss, but let God be the boss. Come before Him, let Him minister to you and fill you with His grace and His presence. He loves you and He invites you to come and to be healed, to be filled, to be blessed. So that you can go out and give that away and be a blessing just by being somewhere. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you know that we don't have the foggiest understanding of your ways. That we don't see as you see. We don't always understand why we're in the situations we find ourselves. But as we do, we pray that we would always be mindful that we are not out of your hand. Lord, we invite you to search our lives, and if there's any part of our lives that has drifted away from you, would you please bring us back? Lord, we need, when we ask for your healing and your grace and your mercy, in each of us and among us, thank you that you give that to us. Thank you that you give us your grace. Thank you that you are the healer. Thank you that you are glorified in your children. Thank you that you have called us and chosen us to be yours. Thank you that you want to use us. Thank you that you want to bless us. You are amazing. And Lord, we want to receive who you are and all that you have for us. So come, God, and fill us. And Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in us. Lord, use us to be salt in the places where we live and work and walk. Lord, let your glory shine in us that people would see you. And Lord, we invite you, just as you use that unnamed man to deliver people, Lord, use us however you want, so that the world would see your love and know that you are God. In Jesus' name.